0: I didn't want to stop searching, and I just happened to hear another podcast like a Joe Rogan podcast, and they were with the guests talking about ayahuasca. And at first, I just kind of listened to it with uh, entertainment kind of value, you know and it was more about the and seeing these crazy stuff. and at that point, I, I had no interest in psychedelics. I didn't see the point. For me, it, view, it viewed like escapism. You know, I had friends in college, or in high school that did it, and I was like, cool, man, that doesn't, actually, I had a pride of not having done cannabis or psychedelics at, you know, um in my mind at that point, I didn't mind, I didn't care if anybody else did it, but if I took drugs and I became a drug user, you know, and that was a different yeah. self-view than I had at that point. Uh, So I heard heard this podcast, and you know, I kind of cast it off. Uh, There's some talk about its benefits and all this, but it was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever.
1: Awesome! All right, 38 Challenge podcast on the go. We are at um, the Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver, Colorado with Jesse Gold. Jesse is a formi- former army ranger and founder of the Heroic Hearts Project. Super excited for this conversation. I know um, thank you so much, Jesse, for, for stepping aside from the conference. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been a great conference.
0: Uh, definitely need a nap and possibly longer, but uh, it's been great to see people and seeing how far this space has come.
1: Right. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, we're just kind of uh, 38 challenges just getting into it, and I'm to the industry so when i tell people i'm going to this they're like you're doing what i was like it's psychedelic science baby um yeah it's about 50 um people like you and i you know that um you know want to help others or people who want to get in the industry and then about 50 percent of people you know wearing mushroom hats and walking around barefoot so definitely a um, and, and very exciting atmosphere here yeah absolutely um
0: just coming from like the original conferences where it was much more of the psychonauts, yeah, yeah, and then the researchers started coming in, but now you have like everywhere in between. So it's kind of cool to see the evolution. And the unique thing about this conference for eleven thousand people, which is for this
1: space, pretty pretty huge. Yeah, yeah. and I mean guys like um, Andrew Huberman speaking, and I mean Aaron Rodgers was here, so and Jesse um, Gould. Yeah, Jesse Gould. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy's awesome too. Um, yeah, man, super excited to hear, you know, your your journey and how you got got. So why don't you start with, you know, a, a little bit of brief history on, on your service?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, originally I was in finance, completely different field, but mm. ended up joining the military. Um, went straight to becoming an Army Ranger, did three combat deployments to Afghanistan. I was a non-commissioned officer. So, in charge of 30-plus junior rangers in training and overseas operations, uh, as we'll relate to this conversation later, I was also a mortarman. So, for those that don't, aren't familiar, mortars are high-angle trajectory rockets, essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, that and then just being in special operations, I was exposed to a lot of concussive force and blasts and all sorts of things that are we're seeing now are not necessarily... Good for the brain health.
1: Yeah, not good at all, man. Um, so, why why go from finance to to the military?
0: Military always intrigued me. Um, it was just it, it, I always appreciated and respected people that went in when they didn't have to, especially that they gave to something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I got out of college and I was working in, in Wall Street, and I just felt like there was there was something lacking. It was more of an intuition. Put more of the pieces together posts, but I think I was just really craving that becoming an adult, becoming in a man ceremony or chapter in my life, just which wasn't available because um, I didn't feel like that after college. And um, so I worked a little bit in finance. I liked it. I also had the fortune getting around the. 09 financial crisis. So okay. I got to see yeah. Wall Street burning while I was, I was there. Right, And so it was just sort of the universe aligned where I had this this feeling I wanted to give back because I felt very fortunate um, being in that position. And, um, you know, Wall Street wasn't going anywhere <laughs> at that point. It's now or never. Uh, and just wanted that challenge too. So I uh, <laughs> told my family, which was a shock to the system because we're not a military family. And Generally speaking, um, most people who have college degrees don't enlist, but I wanted to do it. You know, if I was going to do it, I was going to go full hog in. So I uh, decided to do that, looked into it, did research, started um, preparing for it physically, uh, mentally, and uh, enlisted. And next thing I know, I was getting my head shaved and off on a bus and plane to, to Georgia.
1: Right. Yeah, most people go from the battlefield but you went from the boardroom to to the battlefield which is uh, i'm sure not an easy probably an easier transition i guess from from battlefield to 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 boardroom but still not an easy one and a much different lifestyle for sure
0: i think it um at least for me it helped that i had real world experience Mm -hmm. so i could kind of you know at least uh debatable obviously (laughs) um but i had the the comparison you know of what the outside world works one of the hard parts about a lot of Veterans is they go straight from high school, right? And the only like their whole maturity arc is in combat, mm-hmm. and so when they get out, years to being a civilian and right. the workforce. Um, there were some challenges. You know, my first team leader was uh, Napoleon Complex, uh, nineteen year old, and I was twenty two, and <laughs> had this, That'd so I had tough. to yeah. had to deal with that, and yeah. you know, crow uh, but it's all.
1: Absolutely, man. Um, so before we kind of go into this, I'm sure a very wild journey for you, I want to get a little context before we move forward in the conversation. So when you think of the word vulnerability, what what does that mean to you?
0: I think it's taken different meaning. I mean, especially growing up as a man, and I mentioned sort of this lack of real leadership or real models from that. We get the sort of alpha male archetype of, you know, being jacked and kind of like the Goggins. There's nothing wrong with the Goggins. Yeah. You know, run till you can't run anymore yeah, sort exactly. of thing. Yep. Uh Sort of, you know, the stereotypical of like, you're a man, you gotta do this, you gotta like, all that. And that that's kind of what I grew up with. Uh, definitely not my definition. So at first vulnerability was just kind of like a weakness, right? Right. And especially in the military too. Um, I think what it comes is actually more self-understanding openness um, and I think vulnerability has it's such a loaded thing because it does still even when I'm saying it right now almost connotate weakness like you're exposing yourself mm-hmm. uh, not not in the perverted way right but, Yeah, um, that's a different <laughs> vulnerability but it actually is of you just have you're able to share everything right mm-hmm. and that is almost that's amazing right because you're not trying to put up walls. You're not trying to hide anything. You're not trying to disguise who you are. Um, and it's almost authenticity. You're self. And I think when you do that, you attract other people that also do that. And I think they also appreciate it because we, we're, we're afraid of each other in a lot of, of contexts.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that, that word authenticity gets used a lot on this podcast. Um, I, I think of it the same way. Um, you know, I, I I view it as strength. I don't know if I think of it as as strength yet. Like you say, it still gets, doesn't really roll off the tongue. Um, but if you think about what it means to be vulnerable, like you said, it's to to understand and to expose your weaknesses. And you know, if, if you're not vulnerable and you don't you don't, then you know how can you become strong, right? If you don't exploit the things that are that are ho- holding you back, right? And um, you know, showing your weaknesses and showing the places where you're most vulnerable allows other people, like you said, to do the same and allows them to be stronger. So I appreciate you, you, you willing to get vulnerable. And men, man, you know, why don't, I think for, for men like you and I, the work that we do, um, you know, usually has a, a backstory that's, that's very close to home. So I'd love to know, you know, kind of the, um, the darkness that I'm, I'm sure you've, you've experienced, kind of where all that started.
0: Um, and trauma is an interesting discussion because there's no starting point you know we i think in the western mental health model we try to find that especially with like PTSE of like what is the one thing that mess you up where in fact there's probably many things lots like of things hard you know and it keeps uh throwing, r-rated throwing it, is r-rated throwing its punches yeah. Uh, So, I mean, as a a kid, I I did suffer with, like, anxiety and and various issues and um, belonging and, um, you know, uh, social anxiety, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Going into the military actually helped it with a lot of ways um, just because it gave me the ground to stand on of knowing myself, of what I can do, what I can accomplish, what my limits are, and just just a very good sense of self. And so that helped a lot. So no matter what, the military is, especially special operations, you know, one, you're trained, you're indoctrinated to be not only a soldier and, and be in battle and, you know, potentially die, but you're also trained to be part of a unit, right? You're losing a lot of yourself being more effective. Um, it's There's no... Uh, <laughs> You know, there's obviously the certain cases in the movies, but it's not that one Rambo person just going in and killing all the bad guys. It's efficient tactics that that make the difference over over the long term. Um, But yeah, uh, so then, yeah, coming from the military, that was the other side of it where to work hard, play hard sort of mentality, big drinking culture. Um, You go into it. you're, you're exposed to that. I remember there was a time when I was on a, a helicopter to one of my first missions. I don't think it was the, the first, but one of the first. And I was anxious going into it. I'd done a lot of training up to that point, um, you know, pitch black. But I just kind of took that big, deep breath in and, you know, just let it out of, at this point, it's not whether I live or die, right? I just have to fall back on training. And I just have to be cool with whatever goes on from then forward, and it was kind of a relief. But that's also a very strange mentality to live for multiple years. Mm-hmm. And so, no matter what, and whether it's in combat or people dying or stress of you know the action there, uh, or just the physical sides, you know, going through ranger school, I was in essentially four months. Of sleep deprivation, food deprivation, some weeks, you know, forty-five minutes of sleep for the whole week, good for your body, and yeah. then you're, yeah. you know, knocking down MREs, which <laughs> are filled with all sorts of fun chemicals. Uh, so all of this, you're you're getting out, your body's hurting, your knees are worn out, your your brain health is probably not doing that good, uh, your gut microbiome's super messed up weird mental state, hypervigilance, inflammation from the stress, um, heightened everything, and also a separation from civilian life. And, you know, happy to go more into this, but one of the things we see with veterans kind of become the the poster child, the rubber stamp of veteran trauma. Uh, But again, this is a much more complex issue, and so a lot of the things that people struggle with that we serve, the veterans we serve, myself included, you get out of that you come from this this brotherhood, sisterhood of very tight connections of liver sometimes close to the family. And you also come from this world of purpose where you're on the front lines of world events and each and every day you got to show up. And it's having, you know, you can debate the impact, but it's having an impact on some pretty macro scale, 100%. macro level scale. And then you go out of that and for me, Uh, going into corporate finance, uh, one, isolation, and you're nowhere (laughs) near dealing or bonding with the finance bros as I was with the other people. Right. Uh, But two, it was like, okay, I worked 80 hours this week and saved this company 50 cents on on the quarter.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Good for me. I'm I'm having an impact.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think, like you said, I mean, it's just such a, you know, people, I talk to people all the time it's like veterans it's like oh ptsd it's like well yeah and that's a very serious issue obviously but there's so much more to it a lot of guys especially in special operations military to run right or people or like you said even just people who are um, who, who are commissioning like you you're a lot of times they're escaping something there so they haven't addressed the, the trauma from their childhood And then they go into the military and they experience more trauma. And again, everything that you just, on top of that, they experience a ridiculous amount of brain injuries. So now you have to try to deal with that trauma and the anxiety and the depression that comes with it, with with a brain that's now injured. And then you transition out and the uniform comes off and your whole world is completely changed. And now you have no idea where you fit into society. Exactly where, where my brother was, all those things, right? And that's, he's not... He's not a unique story by any means. And you get out, and I remember Matt tried so many different things and had no idea what his purpose was anymore. He's like, do I go back and um, do special operations again? Do I do I be in the NFL again? Because he was a football player. So he, he wants to go back to what his identity was and and you lose that identity. And then once you lose your identity, you know, then what? On top of all the other things that that we've discussed. So man, I'm I'm curious you know, just kind of this storm for you, did you did you experience PTSD? Was anxiety and depression a, a big thing for you? Kind of, um, you know, kind of want to play around in, in that darkness a little bit and what it looked like for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting you brought up uh, athletes and also um, really successful people in finance or the business world in general. We we were many different people, you know, our, our, our charters, veterans, but... At the end of the day, um, certain people have certain spirits, and I feel like a lot of athletes are in the same boat as as veterans is the reason. Right. Sometimes it's, it's trauma-based, but it's also they just have this strong energy, warrior spirit, uh, and sports are,
1: in an essence, um, mimicking war and battle. Yeah, right? I, I was actually just having this conversation with a, a good buddy who played um, – uh, he played, I won't say the school because I might give it up, but he played D1 football, you know, experienced many brain injuries. Said that the amount of trauma that was in that locker room, the amount of people that he had to talk off the of ledge who were considering taking their lives. So, again, it's the same issues, the exact same issues as the military. Um, maybe military is on a, on a slightly more intense scale, but you still have brain injuries. A lot of people still have childhood trauma. And if you still, you're still lacking that that camaraderie and that and that purpose, but um, yeah, totally yeah. agree. Yeah,
0: absolutely, um, and so yeah. So when we've worked with them, they they the veterans, athletes, um, successful business people, they, they bond really well. So it's always unique and great to see. Yeah, for me, I got out, and um, you know, I, I think especially with my my other experience and also just my self understanding from issues I had before the military. I thought you know okay cool I did well in ranger ranked up quick had this financial background had a great degree i'm gonna hit the ground running I gave myself a little time too uh, traveled uh, around um, tried a few different you know small ventures uh, you kind of have to fail a few before something successful but you know i had that freedom and liberty to, to do that i wasn't contracted by the government anymore right. and so i was taking advantage of that and then eventually, I found my way back. I was in Tampa, Florida, back to a real job, just because my uh, because of my ventures, my funds were were uh, starting to drain pretty quickly. Right, that sucks. And I was just also like, I had an economics degree, I had a finance background. I didn't want to lose it before it was too late, you know. Um, and so I was in was this big international company. Uh, we're in the financial analysis of all the the branches. Uh, and so getting back into modeling and all the fun stuff on right. Excel, yeah. but I was also like a direct report almost of the CFO who liked me a lot and just had a lot positive career perspectives and got promotion, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it was the uh, complete opposite of, like I said, the work hard, play hard of Ranger. And then all these issues that had already been there, but I was able to ignore by the challenges and excitement of traveling and You know, that's kind of a constant party. Do a lot of self-reflection necessarily. Yep. And so, you know, there I was and just having to show up as a a real civilian. And I was like, oh, shit, there seems to be something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I I do consider myself really fortunate that I saw the red flags of, you know, um, Monday morning to go into the office and having to have that beer just to settle the nerves and, or hair of the dog, or whatever it was at that point. Um, And still kind of in that, like, all right, well, I I, I just got to go hard this weekend Um, for no reason. There's hypervigilance. Like, if I was in a very crowded spot, I had to have a couple shots just to be able to handle it and deal Mm -hmm. with it. Um, And, yeah, it just seemed to be
1: getting progressively worse. So So, so as this got worse, was it... um Was it, it sounds like mostly, or was it, was it, was the alcohol consumption getting worse or all the above?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was just a lot of anxiety. So that would go into like panic attacks where I just would have to like lock myself in and not see anybody, you know, just complete dread. Which then leads to, and led to severe depression where I'd just be, you know, Friday night staring at the ceiling couldn't watch Netflix, couldn't even put on music just because it was like such a great world. There was nothing that could distract me. And it was just this kind of like blandness, right? Um, my job at some point started losing purpose, like, like, you know, working my ass off and what's the point kind of thing. Uh, so it was just that. And I, I that was one of the red flags. I just got to the end of the week and um, it was that thought of like, I was more unhappy, I was more depressed more of the days this week than I was happy, which is not sheet to have. Yeah, And I just, I was just in that, that the alcohol was, obviously it makes it worse. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those tricky things about trauma is it, alcohol helps, but it also makes it worse. Or certain things help, but they also make it worse. And so, you get into the, but it's also, there. there's not great other tools. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, goes into my VA experience Department of Veteran Affairs where I knew I was abusing alcohol but it was also that consideration where you like I said if I'm in that situation time and I just can't go to sleep and I can't even like distract myself with anything my choices are just to stare at the ceiling the whole night or to drink until I pass out Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know at least with the latter you feel happy and joyful for that it was like i knew it wasn't the good choice but it was like what like what yeah. option do i have
1: 100% man yeah and i love well, i don't love it but i like on this podcast when people talk about what depression and anxiety feels like cuz i feel so often those words but to actually describe the things like you're saying, right? I had the same exact experience, right? Be- it being a Friday night, me being too anxious, to. Uh, nor do I want to see people. You know, I, I feel like I couldn't be alone enough even when I was by myself, you know? And just that grayness, right? Not um, like you said, what's the point of Netflix if it can't even make me laugh or I can't... I'm so, f- I'm so deep in my own head and my own thoughts that it's like, I don't even want to watch anything else, you know.
0: So yeah, I, I, it's almost more. Of a, it's, it's weird. It's almost a, it, when you're in that state. It's almost like an annoyance even to have things that you normally enjoy. It's it's a very weird. It's it's um it's a whirlpool almost too. Is you get sucked in and it just you get deeper and deeper into it, like with anxiety. You know, it starts yeah. off and you're a little bit, but then you know your brain focuses on that, and then you're. Anxious about being anxious, and then dread of like, what if this never goes away? And then the next thing you know, you're just in full on like panic mode, you
1: know? Dude, yeah, I remember being in that state, talking to Lucas, our producer, and just being like, yeah. like, I didn't tell him this, but I was like, I'm never going to do the podcast again. Like, the 38 Challenge is fucked. Like, I'm not gonna people. Like, everything's going to shit. And it's just like, and I truly believe that. And that's the crazy part is like, your brain, allows you to believe those things and it's but everyone else around you knows that that's not true and that you're gonna make it through it right but you don't want you you just can't hear it because it, it, it's this lens of depression and you know what they you know rumination and this negative feedback loop did you ever have the thought of suicide did that did that ever um that thought ever come up to you
0: um yeah fortunately fortunately no i mean like There, there it's kind of weird there there's dynamics yeah where it comes up but it was never a possibility for me yeah right for me it was just always like okay this is my lot in life and i'm just gonna hard charge this you know of of, i can never do that to my family i can never do that to my friends and i think this is also that kind of dumb veteran ranger sort of thing which has helped me to this day you know uh it's just like this is shitty, but I'm not gonna let it beat me.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think the only reason I asked that is because because you mentioned like the anxiety makes anxiety worse, and for me, obviously my brother took his life, and I was in the same boat. This isn't an, this isn't an option. But the fact that the ideation came up scared me so much that I would think about it more, and then you start thinking about it more and more, and it's like why? Like I'm not gonna do this. I don't want to do this. Why am I thinking about doing it? And it's just like. It, it's just, yeah, like you said, it's such a, it's such a hard place. Um, but as both of us know, the other side is so sweet, and I'm glad that I went through it because now we can speak the same language.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's you. You brought up a good point too. Is the brain's, you know, it's all, it's all our perceived reality. Not to get too esoteric, but we're at the psychedelic. Yeah, uh, but it's all perceived reality. Right. Um, and you're. How you perceive reality can actually change day by day, and if you're perceiving it, even if the day before you're, you know, this is like a manic depressive kind of thing, where you can be like everything's great and happy, and then the next day you can just be in this such great world, but that's then how it interprets everything, everything that comes in, and you, it's almost like you're in this, uh, like, bubble, and it's almost it's nearly impossible to see outside of that bubble, Dude. and you, and that's the scary thing for a lot of people is because it's, it's it's not the question of it gets better or worse. That's change for me. Is this going to be the, the future? My forever. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I, that's where that's, I understand why people take their life. Because you can't see an end of the darkness, but there's always an end to it, which, like you said, in that spot, you can't see it. But, yeah, I remember just... I, I tell a story. Um, I guess it hasn't been that long since I've done it, but there's a book called "Winning the War in Your Mind" that I always recommend people who are in this who are in this spot and just is a kind of immersive. So it, it's journaling throughout it. But it actions, right? Um, you you do a thought audit on your thoughts throughout the day. Are they um, building you up? Are you tearing you down? So the first time I went through it was right after my brother died. Um, it just started the 38 challenge, so you know I was I was grieving, but I wasn't depressed and I wasn't anxious, and I was hard charging this new you know foundation so my answers were yeah my thoughts are building me up right and um, and i did i went through the book for the third time the second time was very similar to the first the third time was through when i was going through my anxiety and depression and the the answers to those questions were so much different like are my thoughts building me up it's like my thoughts like um, you know yeah just you, you know are you are, like it's just it's, it's so hard to put into words but for me being able to see the two different responses it just goes to back exactly exactly what you're saying and then I did ketamine what ketamine does as you know is it's 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 a dissociative so it disassociated my lens of depression and how I was viewing the world just for a little bit so that I could understand that's like okay like this is how this is how I should be thinking and it's like you need to be kinder to yourself. Um, I didn't really have anything that was too, um, but just being able to escape that depressive reality for an hour was life changing, game changing. So on that note, I'm curious, you know, what helped you get out of this, this darkness that, that you were in?
0: Yeah. So like I said, I was in that spot. It's fortunate that I, identified the red flags and identified like this is this is not going to end up well this is not normal yeah yeah and i knew if i continued on that trajectory like whatever happened it wouldn't be good you know um, so that's when i sought help from the the va went there I, it took a while for me to get um, rated so i did get like a ptsd rating but it was just kind of a sort of a Twenty-question survey. It was like, are you angry? (laughs) And do you have (laughs) do you have nightmares? And then they're like, okay, great, you have PTSD. I'm like, cool, awesome. Rubber stamp. It was like veteran trauma. Never once mentioned my exposure to blast. Never once mentioned my diet, which is crazy. My social connections. Like it was it was just the very baseline because that's kind of how it operates. Um, That's like a green check mark for. The VA stuff, uh, so I got rated. So I was like, okay, well, I have free mental health services. I'm clearly not tackling this whatever is going on right now effectively. Let me talk to a therapist, right? Let's let's talk to.
1: When you went into the VA, did they put you on any medications, or did you? Um... So initially, so I had an appointment,
0: and they initially like do an intake, right? And so, so uh, got a meeting with a social worker, and um, to her credit, she was very, you know. Direct and point blank and so i told her like hey I'm, I'm struggling with a lot of anxiety all this kind of stuff i'm good i'm not suicidal uh and you know on the outside i was still doing showing up and performing at work and getting promotions and you know if you saw me on the outside maybe you if you knew me well but for most people like oh yeah he's he's doing great mm-hmm. uh and so but that was probably also the narrative i was telling myself and so i was like hey i'm i'm fine but i am struggling with this kind of stuff but at that time turn it around, so I was actively doing more holistic stuff, like going back, signing up to a gym, getting back in shape, uh, cooking, uh, eating healthier, uh, I'd wake up early to journal and meditate, I was trying to do all this kind of stuff, and, right. they, and they helped, but there's still that wall, there's still mm-hmm. that weight that, that I couldn't shake off, so I told this woman, and you know, she was very kind and, and listened, and um, you know, the VA does have amazing employees, it's just the nature of the system, and she, and I, but also told her, at this time, I just want to let you know or be clear that I'm not interested in taking medication. Uh, Just my own personal decision. Uh, Research due diligence. Uh, I I felt like I understood when the time and the place was of how severe I was going through. And, you know, I've seen people that were greatly helped by medication, by SSRIs. I've also seen people that just became full-on Mode, it it maybe potentially stopped them from killing themselves, but it also took
1: the the light out of their life or the creativity out of their life. I saw I saw a uh, a statistic that said that one in three veterans are prescribed ten or more. And how does that not make you a zombie, right? If you're yeah. taking this pill to solve this problem, that gives you this other side effect, so you take another pill aside to solve that and um, again t- to depression it's like if you're numb how much does it really help yeah and, and that
0: was a like the case and that that's like the veterans we serve 10 to 15 different medications because you take the ssri and one of the most um, lucrative and prescribed drugs is an antipsychotic mm-hmm. so you take the ssri that can cause psychosis and it can actually increase suicidal ideation so then they prescribe an antipsychotic and so you have to americans ever are by a medical standard considered psychotic by being prescribed this or veterans but it's not that they actually are it's because of just how um backwards in in a lot of senses the medication system is
1: so so i take an ssri um currently i'm gonna give it a couple then i'm gonna taper off of it but when i was first prescribed it prescribed it they were like Uh, Yeah, just so you know, there's a black box warning on this for suicide. And I was like, well, I'm already kind of having those thoughts. Like, why would I take something that increases your likelihood of suicide? Like, oh, well, it gets worse before. If you think about how many people who are prescribed SSRI that it got worse when they were already in a bad state and they couldn't see it through, it's, I mean, yeah, it's like you said, the nature of the beast. And again, I'm not against medications. I think that they've, they definitely have saved millions of lives, but you know, they've also taken too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and people shouldn't, you know, just people should do their own research and figure out what's best for them and talk, talk with their doctors. You know, generally speaking, there are great doctors and doctors are just using the tools they have, right? Um, yeah, so I was in that situation. And for me, that was, you know, in terms of scaling, that was a little bit further down, right? Like it didn't, can I just talk to a therapist? That seems like the logical next step for my own mental health, right? And so I, I made that pretty clear uh, to that, that I wasn't willing to do that, uh, at that, that at that point. And so she was like, OK, well, let me be honest with you. Like I can get you to see a therapist, more than likely. Your, your condition and what you told me in your rating, that they'll recommend prescribe medication as this arise. And it's um, I forget what the specific term is, but it's essentially like they have um, a protocol of effective care, right? And if you don't protocol of effective care, then there's limit to what they can do in terms of help. So she was like, I can do that. If you still decide that you don't want medication, then realistically, you can only get a couple, like four therapy sessions. Um, And she also was like, and then other than that, we... Sure and this is what we recommend, and it's exactly what I was doing. Meditate, journaling, all this kind of stuff, you know? So was, she's was like, you're already on that, and so I can do that, uh, get you know, have you see a therapist, but this is the nature of it. And they're at over capacity. and, you know, they did have some group therapy. Like, just to be honest, that's, like, the one that we have here. It's people that are kind of in the more extreme set, so I don't think it will help you. So I just kind of walked away from that. It was just like, okay, well, four therapy sessions is not going to get you anywhere. Like you can't even know your, your therapist in, in that amount of time. And it was just, it was just sort of a reaffirmation of the VA or not the VA, but the, the, the professionals didn't seem to know what was going on. It was just, you have PTSD. Uh, this is the only way that you can potentially like maintain it. Uh, and if you don't do that, then there's nothing else. And that's the other dynamic of it too, which is why I rejected it. Is it really does get um, put to you as a maintenance program? You know, there are some people that can overcome uh, PTSD or whatever the mental health issue through therapy, but there is also that which of this might just be something you have to deal with and and figure out. And the medication, there's there's not a lot of instances where it heals you. It's it's more that it numbs or subsides the issues the the things that you can operate right and i really didn't like that. you have this and you're not necessarily going to be able to get over it but we can help you maintain
1: yeah and i mean it's like i have uh i have grade four arthritis in my knee in some parts and it's just like it's just pain management you know like you at some point you're gonna doctor said i was like Definitely don't like that answer, you know. But there's things out there that are um, different rehab programs that, that begin to make the things around the knee stronger, right? And there's things like stem cells which are coming out, which are now being proven to repair the knee. And it's the same thing with the mind, right? There's there's things that you can do that can just pain management, right? That you can actually begin to heal, um, which is you know why I love the work that that, that y'all are doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, and I, I think that's especially in mental health. There is a sort of um, Western medicine. If they don't know what the answer is, then there doesn't exist an answer. Or it's if it goes outside of the medication spectrum, then it's bullshit, right? right. So we see examples of that with psychedelics now. It's, it's starting to change. We saw the same sort of thing where a lot of these, like, more ancient practices or remedies, a lot of these more holistic um, things are now kind of being rediscovered, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. where, and it just, it took Western medicine to catch up to things that have been known for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. For instance, um, go back 20 years and you said you did yoga or we'd be calling you like goddamn hippie, especially in the military, right? But now it's like, trained in the military yep. breath work meditate meditation too if you said you meditate now the military incorporates meditation practices um cold plunges uh all these it's in vogue right now it's like human optimization all of these things were, were very traditional treatments and because there was not a clinical study around it because there was not a Doctor's green check mark on it,
1: and a billion dollars behind a, yeah, a was, new drug. Yeah,
0: I remember reading. It bullshit,
1: you know, but now it's super accepted. So, you know, your work with so I guess you know the place that you're at. You had this experience with with the VA, and it sounds like you were kind of doing your own searching for 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 answers. And um, from the looks of it, it sounds like you had an answer for you, and an answer that's helped a lot of people. So. Um, for your for your mental health journey, how I guess what was your first experience with with psychedelics and how helpful were they? So I was in that situation walking out of the VA, and I'm like,
0: "All right, well, these people don't seem to know," and I'm still struggling. Uh, I, I didn't have an answer, right? But I, I didn't want to stop searching, and I just happened to hear another podcast, like a, a Joe Rogan podcast, and they were with a guest talking about ayahuasca and at first i just kind of listened to it with uh entertainment kind of value you know and it was more about the and seeing these crazy stuff and at that point i i had no interest in psychedelics i didn't see the point for me it, view, it viewed like escapism you know i had friends in college or in high school that did it and i was like cool man that doesn't actually i had the pride of not having done cannabis or psychedelics that you know um in my mind, at that point, I didn't mind. I didn't care if anybody else did it. But if I took drugs and I became a drug user, you know, and that was a different mm. self-view than I had at that point. Uh, so I heard heard this podcast, and it, you know, I kind of cast it off. Uh, there was some talk about its benefits and all this, but it was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, right. Excuse to take drugs. Uh, yeah, um, but it planted a seed. And for whatever reason, you know, I think just bored at work, and then like looking more into it, and. Reading more and more interesting things and doing your
1: due diligence.
0: Yeah, and like I said, we're. I think if it was like somebody offering me, LSD, uh, like a bag of mushrooms, I I wouldn't have done it. But the fact that you know I'd previously been to South America and I loved it, and the fact that this had ayahuasca had um this this culture, this tradition, the ceremony, this thing that dates back for thousands of years and has been used by you know millions of of. Um, all over South America, I think that gave me that that window. Like, this is not just taking drugs; it's not just this recreational thing. There's something to it. Uh, like, at the very least, it's a cultural exploration, right? Like, you're you're uh, doing this unique thing with this interesting culture, and so that gave me the. It was it was one of those things of my subconscious to do it, and so it just took that time to convince the dumber part of my brain that uh, we were actually doing this. At that time, I was already ready to leave my job. I was just it just wasn't inspiring intriguing challenging um and just where I was at like I had nothing to preserve I didn't have friendship. I, I didn't I had some friend network but there just wasn't really that much keeping me there right and um fortunately I had some savings I was like all right well let's let's just clear clean slate and try again because this this experiment that I was doing definitely didn't work mm-hmm. and like so again, did my due diligence. And this was 2017, which is not too long ago, but very night and day in terms of the psychedelic space where there there wasn't uh, a lot of opinions. You just had to go to these different websites of like, what retreat should I go? How am I not going to get kidnapped? Like, how do you do this? And some of them were super touristy of like, dolphin, you know, go see the dolphins, go through a forest walk, go see this and that uh but i found one that um seemed much more traditional you know the website was built in the 1990s and never updated it but it had a lot of great information had an application just trying to get your money and i was like okay this seems like the one uh so just took that leap of faith of like all right i'm gonna book a one-way ticket to peru um get rid of what i don't need start off with this ayahuasca journey and take it from there and so The next thing I know, I'm in uh, the Amazon in Iquitos, Peru, and at this uh, ayahuasca ceremony, or yeah, at this retreat center. And, you know, thinking a little bit like, are you crazy? This sounds a little bit crazy. But also feeling relief of getting out of that bubble that I created, which became much clearer the moment I stepped out of it. So what was that first experience like for you? So with this, the ayahuasca um, experience, and for people unfamiliar, ayahuasca comes from the Amazon uh, jungle. Um, It's the combination of two plants. One's a vine, one's uh, a leaf. The vine contains something called an MAO inhibitor, and the leaf contains something called DMT. And the DMT is the psychoactive compound, but the MAO inhibitor allows your body to uh, metabolize it to where you actually have it. If you just ate the leaf with the DMT, because there's many plants that actually have an effect, right? So it's this combination, and it's brewed, and it's brewed down to this really dense tea, essentially, which doesn't taste good at all. And you drink that, and then you go into you a know, very classical psychedelic experience for four to five hours led by healers that generally sing during the ceremonies and they sing these songs called icaros that are um songs they learn from the plants from from their relationship with the plants because these tribes in the jungle their whole livelihood their whole life is on nature right and so the healers uh you know they're it's kind of being associated with psychedelics but they're also the ones that if you had stomach trouble if you had um, you know, an affected wound, if you had this or that, they can go into the jungle and find the tree, find the plant that would help that.
1: They're doctors, essentially. Yeah, yeah
0: essentially. And so the ayahuasca or the psychedelics um, was part of, you know, for them in a lot of ways, mental health, but oftentimes that's very closely tied to spiritual health, you know, in terms of their conception of how the world works and their religious practices. And so it's becoming one and, and moving energy, moving um, Spirit sometimes from from and there's different beliefs there's different, but it's um you know mind body spirit health is what they're charged with of the tribe, um and so went there, uh, four ceremonies over the course of a week. You're isolated in the middle of the jungle, generally speaking, and uh, you do those ceremonies spread out. You go there at night. You go up, drink the ayahuasca. Go back to your your mat in the corner, you're generally laying down, and then the the, the fireworks start. And so for me, never having done a psychedelic and this being one of the m- more intense psychedelics that there are, uh, it just hit me like a train. And it was the classical um, shapes, geometric patterns, colors, but it all came at me like super fast, super intense, uh, just felt like the world pulsating and not in a comfortable way so that first in an uncomfortable
1: way yeah yeah it was it was was, was absolutely uncomfortable that was my first experience with with ketamine too i was like this is not comfortable
0: yeah and uh it was just everything It, it was every dynamic of being uncomfortable and just puking the whole time and just yeah just just complete brain chaos and all this kind of stuff and it just threw me through a whirlwind um and just overwhelming and what psychedelics do and you know learning this and appreciating it later is they're they're essentially augmenters they, they make you super sensitive so your hearing increases your sight increases which is why they do it in darkness uh, have um trauma or certain emotions those are going to be augmented as well those are going to be you know, a big thing, which is why they can be effective for mental health. And so for me, I was essentially just being surrounded in this, you know, volume level to 10 anxiety, chaos, which I was already holding, um, but it was processing through my body in this very sensory, all-encompassing way.
1: That's that's fascinating. And I don't know why I didn't really think about that either for my ketamine experience, but... I had a panic attack during my treatment. You can't really like, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with ayahuasca. Um, But it's not like you can really like move or like get up and do stuff. So it's like, you have to feel it right. And you have to try your damn best to breathe through it and tell yourself that you're not going to die. But that's so important because that's the way that life is right. You're going to have points in your life where you're. And you have to be able to work through it and to keep taking steps forward and to understand that you're going to be okay. And that, you know this too shall pass for your ayahuasca journey did you feel like you processed a lot of trauma or did you feel like you mostly just processed the feelings of like anxiety no i felt like i got the shit beaten out <laughs> of essentially
0: it uh so after the first one i was just like what the hell was that but so a couple of things one there's also this depth and there's this like beyond the chaos there's there there's a uh, ancientness there's a depth to it it was complex it wasn't just taking drugs. It wasn't uh, more to it, right? It wasn't <laughs> recreational by any means. The second thing was, you know, coming from that, that ranger mentality, you know, when you get the shit beat out of you, it gives you respect. It gives you a little bit of humility. Um, and so from that, it was like I think that's – drug mentality that I that I went there I like oh you're doing psychedelics you know you're now this 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 person so coming from that I was just like didn't know what it was but I was like there's something to this yeah. and you respected it yeah and it was like and I was there I was like fully committed I was like I'm here for it's I'm not going to tap out um so then the second ceremony uh even worse mm-hmm. and <laughs> to the degree of like it felt like it brought me on the edge of insanity. Of course, like I said, that was a, an augmentation of my fear. So, because
1: if that's what you're fearing, then that's what you have to face. I was gonna say, do you, do you think the second one was worse because now you knew what it felt like and you were kind of anticipating to go to that there, spot?
0: There's a little bit of that, but there's also this retreat center uh, purposely made a stronger uh, combination uh, for the second retreat also your body uh, can keeps the ayahuasca in so it tends to build um, kind of like primers you same thing with ketamine Yeah. yeah. You,
1: they start low and then you work your way up
0: yeah and so the second one it was just that so you know they, they and we, we do similar sort of things we like to have the bigger experiences and the, the first ones you are right mm-hmm. or that by the end you can kind of wrap it up and but you know sometimes the first few ones you get your ass kicked and mm-hmm. because that's that's oftentimes, where the work happens, um, and so that was that, and then put me to this, like showed me the fear of God in a lot of different ways. And still, when you're in that chaotic mode, you're like, I don't know what "This is about." Because it wasn't like an image, or it wasn't like this happened with your parents,
1: or this happened with it's your. It's nothing profound, which is what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, again, ketamine's on the lowest end of the intensity, but um, still. Yeah, I was expecting, I was like, I'm going to see my brother, and I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to work through all the stuff that I'm feeling. There's no magic pill, um, and there never will be. But yeah, like you said, it's this, um, It's just continuing to, to move through the, the trauma and, and the feelings and all that stuff. So All right, so now you're on your third, your third yeah, treatment.
0: And, and just a real quick comment on that, too. A lot of Western mental health is really based off of using the brain to process our traumas which kind of makes sense from some level of like, okay, this happened to me, let me talk through it. And that can be very effective. Cognitive behavioral therapy, helping you reframe it because the brain is, you know, you can exercise it and, you know, if you have happier thoughts and you force yourself, then it does do that. But consideration that a lot of our trauma is stored outside of our uh, language centers of our brain. It's stored subconsciously with emotion. Like emotion is the language of, of trauma, of we're reacting to it and like anything else it can be very hard to explain an emotion because it's working on language set or different platform right Um, language could be very analog and you're 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 trying to explain something very very complex Mm -hmm. and so with psychedelics what it does is it's almost bringing um, these emotions to the forefront like language doesn't serve you anything and Experience. It has no value, it has no mm-hmm. practice, but you're exploring this and metaphorically looking at it in almost like a um, enhanced dream, you know, like where you're seeing this and it might not necessarily mean or might not represent exactly what it is. Like you might see an animal, a figure or, or this. It's an interpretation of the emotion, the trauma, the feeling, right? And so helping you process that really doesn't matter what the image is or the... the the language or the words you are using, the whole point is processing the trauma, processing the feeling, right? It's not that I knew this happened, it's more that I've been storing this, and let's get past that and also learn how to feel better about it. Um, so the third one started off like, that I was, you know, like I said, had the, the fear of God in my eyes, like I don't know if I can handle anything more intense than that other one.
1: I was, I did, so I did six uh, ketamine treatments in a week And I was so drained.
0: Absolutely. And uh, other people were too. So that kind of was a little bit of saving grace. So I went into it, started off like just as strong. I'm like, oh shit, like I don't, another night of this. During that, it was almost, you know, I saw this, this hand pull me out. It's like plant portal. And then going from, this chaos, like sweating, uncomfortable, couldn't sit still, like complete uncomfortability, complete like misery to absolute tranquility in an instant. Even heart rate down, going from sweating to feeling like a cool breeze on my face and just peace at zen, you know, seeing like, you know, a nice beach and just absolute stillness and absolute Peace, tranquility. And I was like, oh, okay. The self-sabotaging parts of our brain was like the, but what if, what what if it go back? The moment that what if came back, zoom right back into the chaos and all this kind of stuff. And then so through the rest of the night, it was almost like it was teaching me how to stay in that state. Mm. And being hard-headed, it took me a lot of just puking and all this kind of stuff. And by the end, when I was, like, just tapped out and exhausted, I f- felt like I got there, but at least I made progress, right? Like, that was a victory, and I felt that. So then for the fourth ceremony, it was sort of a continuation of that. A little bit of struggle, but then i able to stay in that. And once without that self-sabotaging thought, and then it was just, like, a very nice uh, experience and, again, more feeling-oriented, less... um things that i can dictate but I, I almost reconnect me to that warrior spirit that that sort of noble feeling that 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 strength um that lion heart kind of thing and i was just living in that um and then towards the end of of that uh ceremony there were there was some you know insights in terms of i was trying to ask it like what's next like what's my path what should i be And it was just that clear message of just um, if you knew what exactly what you're doing, if you knew exactly what the next path looked like, you would go back into depression, right? Because this whole purpose of life is that it should be challenging. It should challenge your creativity. It should challenge who you are. And you have a skill set to do that. But if you knew exactly, like you see with uber rich people, like they're depressed because they – don't have that challenge anymore, right? They won the Monopoly game. And so it was just that sort of realization of like, you know, um, take it step by step, enjoy the challenge while you're doing it, give yourself some grace. But that's the whole mystery dynamic of life. So, you know, sign on, it's going to be hard, it's going to be fun, it's going to be everything in between. And so, the, and again, with these messages, when it does come like that, and we see this with a lot of veterans, I can tell you like, hey, love yourself, or hey, great. But unless you internalize, unless you tell yourself that, not just on a conscious level, but on a subconscious level, if you feel that, if you feel the love for yourself, if when I felt that um, release of, hey, I don't need to know what's next and life's a journey, when you feel it's a whole different level of processing, and it just has... A much bigger impact on on how you perceive things
1: right so and yeah that's so fascinating and i mean even you know things like like meditation you know things like breathing cold you're trying to get to the same place right and obviously it just sounds like in ayahuasca your experience was a was a uh, um, profound kind of version of that so after this retreat what was life like?
0: So, like I said, I bought a one-way ticket. So, I was bumming around uh, South America and just doing odd jobs here and there, and just trying to figure out what the next thing was. I had no idea. It was like maybe. Were you depressed or anxious at this point? Now, after the. Uh, no, I felt great. Uh, immediately afterwards, I felt like the weight had been lifted. I felt clear. Uh, my brain for the kind of goes to the traumatic brain injury from being a mortarman wasn't diagnosed but um for sure something that was a factor but it it felt like my brain after that experience was it was the first time it was working at as a cohesive unit as it should and you know to, to understand that when i was in it because if you're working with a brain that's not working that's all you know right whereas afterwards like oh that this is different from that you know like my brain's not sabotaging it's not misfiring you know all cylinders are actually firing how they should, and this vehicle is going forward. And so your delineation between the pre and post. Um, When I went, um, and this kind of leads to what I'm doing now, There, you know, when you go to retreat and you're there and they take great care of you, but after that, then you're on your own. And so, one, going into it, there wasn't a lot of preparation. Two, getting out of it, There's some talks of integration or life after, but it's mostly on you to figure out. So I was fortunate; I had space, and I was in Latin America, and you know, could do, you know, be. I didn't have to go right back into like busy work lifestyle, but I also had to figure it out, and that involves stumbling, regressing a little bit. That involves all sorts of stuff. But generally speaking, it was a positive trajectory. It was better than I was, and some of the biggest things was, you know, I. Well, one, the things like anxiety and depression didn't hit me as hard, or they—I didn't get sucked into that whirlpool that I mentioned. I could almost see it, like from a satellite view. If something was triggering me, I could see that coming and sidestep it. So with the anxiety, like not getting into that feedback loop, and that's with the ayahuasca experience. That's kind of what it taught me it was almost this exercising this muscle of instead of self-sabotaging, instead of getting anxious this kind of stuff you can change a script you can go to that peaceful spot and now that i actually knew how to trigger that in my head i could utilize that right um it was my choice but i didn't have the tools to make it my choice before um and to the point where you know i I eventually at some point uh later in that year went back to tampa where i was before and i was at the the local bar just to say hi to some friends and the social anxiety, like I said, where I had to take drinks before, wasn't there. And it just didn't hit me that way. And so I could be there with peace without shots, you know. Uh, and so I was traveling around afterwards and just trying to figure it out as I was going, but didn't really have a specific direction. Um, but I was happy.
1: I was doing well. I was taking care of myself. So when did you... When did you start your work? Did the when did the the thought of um, of creating a a nonprofit that would allow you know warriors to and their families to experience what you did?
0: So it came to this point where you know after I didn't tell anybody I was going um, just because I didn't want their judgment on that. So afterwards, I my family and uh, told some friends, some people that were still in or recently retired. At this point, too, I already had double-digit people that I served with had taken their own lives, you know? So I was very aware, aware that there was a huge problem, and it was just increasing. Um, so I started talking to buddies that were in, and I was like, hey, I just and more often than not, they're like, yeah, that's that's sounds stupid and crazy, but yeah. if it works, it works. And I was kind of surprised of that, of this sort of mentality of like, hey man yeah it's like tools on the ground like it's and it makes sense now but at that point is surprising we're trained for that you can plan and play, but you have to complete mission and that means you know adapt and overcome you use the tools that are at your disposal and this really seemed to fit into that category for most people and it started becoming this almost obligation where i just started having these thoughts of hey you just went through something crazy but something a lot of people mm-hmm. that need it and so it was a question of like can this help people and number two do you actually have the ability to make that possible mm-hmm. and both of those were an unavoidable yes i was like ah shit. well i guess i gotta do something about it now uh, you know i had the dreams yeah. as anybody else of this and making money and retiring early but it was just that obligation of it was almost like i stumbled on this knowledge that it, i it was my charter to share with veterans, and so I figured out what that meant, and what that seemed to mean was, uh, and you know I can guarantee you at that time, starting a nonprofit was in no way appealing to me, you know especially with dwindling resources in my bank account, which were never uh, a huge amount in the first place, and starting a nonprofit around a very illegal, stigmatized subset, was not a, a a choice, a career choice that I recommend to anybody. <laughs> um, but there I was in in Columbia and just kind of figuring out and you know went on LegalZoom Zoom and how do you start a nonprofit and figured out the pathway there and figured out how to build a website and I was literally in this small inner small town in Columbia and figuring it out and a few months after my first experience uh, launched heroic hearts project. Uh, to educate veterans and then also potentially at that point it's too early to tell but I wanted to connect them to retreats like I said all the due diligence that I did uh, a lot of people be hard for them to find a good center or if they're not used to traveling like what should they do and also what I mentioned that I didn't have this preparation or aftercare uh, maybe that should be incorporated Mm -hmm. and I think the biggest thing is like any other like we were talking about athletes before Uh, there's subgroups, right? Like if you're a doctor and you're surrounded by other doctors, you're going to use very, you know, medically related terms. The same thing with veterans, you know, or athletes. You're going to have similar languages or similar ways of viewing the world or describing things. And I knew that needed to be done for psychedelics. And I felt like I could direct that in a very straightforward way to other veterans. So, and I started it and... Did uh looked into it and there wasn't any other vet program out there that was um doing this that was actually serving it. There's like some small subgroups, but extent. And so I just kind of put it out there and started the website. And uh April of 2017, April 1st, Fool's Day, April Fool's Day, I uh, I did the official launch of Rogue Arts Project.
1: You know. One of the things I wanna comment on, you mentioned tools. And I had a, a really, really, really good friend of mine reach out, which I'm so proud that he did. And he was like, I listened to your podcast and I, I kind of detailed the the darkness that I was in. And he was like, I feel like I'm in this spot right now. Um, you know, I'm in that funk that I no longer feel like myself. Um, he goes, What's your advice? Or what's one what's one thing that helps you? And I think what people need to understand with depression with anxiety with mental battles the first thing you need to understand is that it's going to be really hard and it's not going to happen overnight but you will get better like 100% you will get better the second is that you need to arm yourself with as many tools as possible right exercise isn't going to be isn't going to be the thing that cures you it will help a lot um, meditation won't cure you; it'll help a lot. Good diet, cold exposure, social social all these things are tools, and you need to utilize all of them in order to get out of the funk. And I think, arguably, psychedelics is is could be the the most powerful tool that we have in our in our arsenal. So I absolutely love what you and and Heroic Parts are doing. So tell us about high level what that journey's looked like where you guys are at now <laughs> yeah the, the the journey looks like
0: the most uphill battle <laughs> you could possibly imagine but always um fulfilling too of it actually having an impact you know and to kind of emphasize what you said there's we're not seeing anything else the impact that this has to the same degree and it really is transforming our the, the global view of mental health and trauma and actually giving people their life back in a rather rapid uh, time frame so yeah what heroic hearts has become you know uh it quickly took a life of its own um and it's been a, a whirlwind of an experience and especially at that point again not too long ago but night and day in the psychedelic space where cold calling people and their response like you're doing what with veterans how did you get my why are you doing that? Sounds crazy. Uh, and just putting it and talking to veterans and really wasn't being talked about. And then eventually, you know, after Michael Pollan's book, after the Johns Hopkins Psychedelic um, uh, uh, Center started and some of their research came out, MAPS, MDMA research was, was around 2018, 2019. Just became night and day where. You know, I was having to work extra just to bring this word to veterans and people in general because I needed funding uh, to where people had already heard about it. You know, or word of mouth and other veterans and success stories and other nonprofits emerged uh, that were doing similar things for their subgroups. You know, um, and so it was kind of cool to see the the dichotomy between almost a before and afterwards. And so, what it looks like now is, again, still educating, meeting with veterans, going to conferences like this, and just presenting it in a way that I think is very approachable to veterans that they understand and they under. We have similar backgrounds, and my team uh, is filled with veterans. And then also our our program, which you know is uh, unique and the first of its kind, where um, veterans come to us. We do uh, essentially like a harm reduction. Uh, intake of where they're at, issues, medications, all this kind of stuff, and seeing if this is actually advisable for them Mm -hmm. Um, because there are a lot of contraindications and health considerations. And if they're good, green light, Uh, we do four to six weeks of preparation work, Mm -hmm. which involves three group uh, calls. so They get to meet everybody else. We go over logistics. They get to ask their questions, and we – talk about breath work, mindfulness, all this kind of stuff. And each person gets three individual peer support coaching hand. And then they get three group and three individual afterwards as well, after the retreat. So we do that four to six weeks of preparation. They get um, all this training. They get this diet, all this kind of stuff. So when they get there, they're ready to hit the ground running. There's no way to fully prep somebody for this because it's individual, each individual but we can at least give them like different tools to handle it. We have vetted retreat centers around the world that we've worked with. We test them out, make sure they're safe, make sure they're aligned, and developed you know um, our own sort of protocols of how we have found that work best with trauma. So a big backbone of what we do is ayahuasca, but we also have worked with psilocybin, ibogaine, um, and other other... Psychedelics. Um, and so they go to these retreats and generally about a week long, and then that aftercare, that integration to a community where once they get through that, that's really what we're trying to build. Is and an ideal in the future when these become legal in the US, we can have a localized community where one, they have affordable access to whatever psychedelic, but two, they can keep tapping into this other group of veterans that can continue to support. Uh, find purpose, find support, and support other veterans that are in need. So that's really the big thing. The other dynamics we do are research. So we have some pretty innovative research projects with various universities, like Imperial College of, of Imperial College of London, University of Texas, University of Georgia, and then so a lot of the statewide and some federal policies that have passed in the U.S. Uh, we've generally been played a pretty active role in that. So here in Colorado, we help pass. Uh, the bill that will allow um, clinical access to psilocybin in two years and also decriminalization right now as in a similar and so this year in Oregon from a bill that we helped pass people actually right now can go get psilocybin therapy from a, a in a clinical setting which is pretty remarkable so those those are the main things but obviously our main operation is connecting that and we also just recently Organization called the Hope Project, which provides um, support counseling to spouses. So the veterans that go on a retreat, uh, they their partners, they also get coaching. They also get involved with it, and then they also have access to their own
1: individualized uh, retreats if they choose that. Yeah, and I I love that partnership with the Hope Project because I think for me the two, I mean besides the way that psychedelics are um now beginning to have more evidence that they actually repair the brain. Um, but just the way that they work in the brain, right? Include increasing neuroplasticity and just the d- different functions that that they tap into. But for me, what I love about your program is that it provides hope, right? When someone's in that spot, all they want is hope, right? All they want to see is a future where maybe, maybe they're better. And so when you have this preparation work where they're doing this for four to six weeks, if someone was in the in the point in their life or just in such a, a dark spot well now they have four weeks where they're preparing for something that could completely change their life right and that provides hope and for some people that's 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 enough right and then two i always like talking about this because um I, i'm a christian myself and i think there's this stigma against you know taking and psychedelics um and a lot of people like you i think your initial viewpoint was you're escaping something right or you're you're numbing something but what psychedelics do is they force you to 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 face your trauma and face your emotions head-on, right, like you were mentioning. And so in my opinion, it's really the only drugs or, or um, treatments or medications, whatever you want to call it, that actually does that, and SSRI numbs it, right? Um, benzodiazepines numb numb these feelings, right? And, and and these right now are our first line of, of defense. And so that's why I, I just absolutely commend you for for what you're doing and backing off of hope what to you um you know just the research that you guys have done your your success rates like what are some things that you can tell listeners for for what you're finding and the hope that it can provide them
0: yeah so i mean generally in the space fortunately there's a lot of growing research a not traditional psychedelic but it's about to be passed by the FDA for ptsd and it has had north of 67% success rate with treatment resistant PTSD. So the hardest of the hardest cases. And that's a huge jump from our current available treatments. We're seeing some very positive results from psilocybin and some like that's being studied. We're seeing so far pretty positive results.
1: Like night and day. Like like night and day. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Huge, huge increases. And not only does it not only are they showing um efficacy, but they're also like relieving the symptoms or taking away the PTSD or the depression, where, as opposed to the maintenance, and they're also having broad-based benefits, whether it's helping addiction or physical issues or depression, Or and there's very few medications that have more than one use, you know, so these are pretty remarkable from that context. Uh, we're doing one of our studies is with... Um, we have two studies with them. So, one psilocybin for traumatic brain injury. So, we did the first cohort of veterans in Jamaica with Beckley Retreats. And then another one is um, ayahuasca. So, ayahuasca for PTSD. And so, we have an initial cohort um, of preliminary results. Uh, and these are observational studies, uh, but still very valuable data and, and validated. And so we're we've seen statistically significant improvements by a wide degree, uh, for uh, PTSD, depression, and improvements in quality of life and and anxiety. And uh, see similar things with the too early on the, the psilocybin study, but we have like cognitive assessment measurements, EEGs. Uh, so we're getting a lot of like great data, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're doing another study with Imperial. Um, uh, an organization called Onaya Health looking into epigenetics with the University of Texas. Um, we're doing a three-part study, so psilocybin for Gold Star Wives, so spouses that lost a loved one, so prolonged depression. Another one, ayahuasca for PTSD as well, and then ibogaine for veterans with head trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the of people who go through your program that that – The ayahuasca, or I guess other psychedelics, are effective
0: for? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of more of a back of the envelope number um, because we have various studies. So it's kind of compiling it, but just kind of what we see from from the different results. And you have to kind of separate like studies from world data. Um, You know, I'd easily say 90, mid 90% of people that go through our program at the retreat or like post retreat have some sort of positive impact of, sometimes it's complete transformation of life, sometimes it's new Mm self-understanding, but in terms of impact, it's a very high percent. And then the other small percent,